investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to episode 68 of the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kessling. Today is Friday, May 15th, 2020. Interesting times in the markets these days in the age of COVID-19, but still a lot of interesting things going on, not just in stock markets. We're going to chat about some uh, M&A, a hostile bidding situation, but also cryptocurrency. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. It went through a halving this week, specifically on Monday. What is it? And why is it bullish for Bitcoin's price? Uber makes a play for Grubhub. They're trying to put together a friendly deal. They're not there yet, but nothing official. We're going to chat about if this is made official, why is it a bad deal? Then we're going to chat about Grand Columbia. They revealed an unsolicited bid for Guyana Goldfields, topping Silvercorp's friendly acquisition price. What will happen with Silvercorp waiting in the wings? And will this turn into a full-blown bidding war? First, I wanted to chat about an event that comes about every four years. So it's a pretty rare event, which is Bitcoin going through its third halving this week, which is a really, really interesting event. First, I wanted to discuss and talk to listeners about what exactly is a halving. Well, it refers to the 50% reduction to the rewards earned by Bitcoin miners that successfully process transactions on the network. So when Bitcoins are created or mined by so-called miners are not actually physical miners but basically uh, you know warehouses of these very very powerful computers they contribute computing power to securing the bitcoin network which you know basically makes it impossible to hack and that what that's what makes the network so powerful is this so-called uh, proof of work mechanism uh, where miners they run these calculations, they process these transactions on the network, solving these complex mathematical puzzles through their vast computational power. And then after they do this, these miners are rewarded for their work processing the transactions on the blockchain with Bitcoins. And uh, the way the network was initially designed to combat inflation, it was written into their initial code that the total number of Bitcoins that will ever exist will be 21 million. Right now, there are about 18.4 million Bitcoins. And the expansion of the supply uh, decreases over time. So the way it works, if we get into the details, the first block recorded on the Bitcoin blockchain was in January 2009. Uh, where the miner, which I guess was Satoshi, he received 50 or they received 50 Bitcoins. Then this halving occurs every 210,000 blocks. So it's uh, expected to happen roughly every four years. And these block rewards will half at that point. So the first halving officially took place on November 28th, 2012. And the miner's reward was reduced from 50 Bitcoins to 25 Bitcoins. And for the next four years, miners were rewarded 25 Bitcoins for each successful block mined. Then the second halving was on July 9th, 2016. Then the miners reward was reduced from 25 Bitcoins to 12.5 Bitcoins. What happened this week 
was we had the third halving on May 11th, where Bitcoin miners will now receive 6.25 Bitcoins as a reward. And really the net effect of, of the halving is such that growth in supply decreases and is thus disinflationary, which many Bitcoin bulls believe makes it superior to the inflationary nature of fiat currency. The other thing that I wanted to mention is we, if we go back into Bitcoin's history, which isn't all that long, I mean, just over 10 years now, the previous two halvings, specifically one in 2012 and one in 2016, they led to like ridiculous bull runs in the price of Bitcoin if we go back to, and it wasn't initial, like the most epic bull runs in Bitcoin have been in, uh, if you look at 2013 and 2017, where you'd, you've had the price going up by an order of magnitude, uh, just these wicked bull markets, um, which basically a year prior, you had one of these having episodes. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, if we go back to kind of 2012, 2016, when those halvings did occur, initially there was a brief sell-off and we did get a bit of that this week, uh, over last week. And there's a lot of hype around the halving that happened on Monday. And I believe Bitcoin actually tanked about 10%. It has recovered uh, quite a bit uh, over this week. But nonetheless, um, you know, really interesting aspect of how this works. You can contrast it to the fiat currency system where the growth um, central banks effectively target inflation, at least in developed markets, roughly 2%. And you get this compounding effect such that on uh, amount of money outstanding, money supply basis, it's effectively compounded. So it turns exponential, right? But Bitcoin, it's, it's kind of the opposite where you have a, a supply, the growth in supply actually declines such that at, once they reach the 21 million, um, no more growth in supply. So then it'll perhaps turn uh, deflationary. But really interesting uh, things happening in uh, you know the digital currency system. Really a stark contrast to what's happening uh, these days with central banking, where there's a tremendous amount of stimulus and big increase in money supply. So it's interesting to keep in mind, and uh, and the main reason why uh, there's many uh, investors out there that increasingly see Bitcoin as an investable asset class and a store of value. So having is something that's definitely worthwhile to pay attention to and an interesting uh, point in the history of this cryptocurrency. What are your thoughts on it? Well, so I guess, first of all, so you'd mentioned the price effect. Um, Bitcoin is on the whole up 6.3% since the halving. Um, so that's interesting to note as well. You know, why why does this matter? So if you're a holder of Bitcoin, you're worried about the price effect. Effectively, it's introducing more scarcity to the asset class as less Bitcoins will be mined on a daily basis. So that's good for you as a holder. The other party that this really impacts are the miners. So they have two ways of making money as a miner. Now, you had mentioned the block rewards that you get for verifying transactions and finding the new combination for the next block. Now, the other portion of how miners make money is through transaction fees. So as you had mentioned in the halving, that's a 50% decrease for the block rewards. So their, their revenues on that side of the business are cut in half, but what you've also seen is that tra block transaction fees. So whenever you do a, a transaction on the blockchain, you have to pay these transaction fees. If you're moving uh, your crypto from wallet, one wallet to another, you have to pay these transaction fees. So those have actually increased from 4.6% to 7%. So 
some of the the lost revenue for miners um, has been regained on the transaction fee side. Now, one interesting thing that I would like to note on the specific to the having is that back in 2017, 2018, uh, Julian and I, we were, we were looking at a variety of different mining operations. And predominantly, these mining operations, there was multiple companies becoming public. And so we were looking just at the public documents. And what you saw was their use of machine was typically the S9 ant miner. And when they were building out their curbs for their production in terms of mining, Many of these companies were assuming a useful life of, of uh, five, mostly five years into the future that these these machines would be useful for. Well, this having is now expected that the S9 miner will now become obsolete. Goes into so the junk that, pile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's now kind of it's too inefficient. There's more there's more productive machines that are out there that can mine Bitcoin at a, at a more efficient rate. And so, you know, just in a couple of years, you're seeing these being scrapped, which is, you know, just speaks to how difficult the Bitcoin mining space is. Now, there was another interesting thing that, uh, that came out in the crypto space this week um, that some of our astute listeners would have came across was on Wednesday, Reddit, um, as many of our listeners are well aware of, it's a top 10 um, in terms of visits, daily visits, uh, website in the US. Now, what they did was they took a couple of their subreddits, the cryptocurrency subreddit and the Fortnite subreddit, and they started a, a pilot program where they actually gave each of those subreddits their own individual cryptocurrency, which is which is what they have termed as a community currency. And this can be viewed as, for anybody that follows the crypto space, there's two types of tokens in in the crypto world. There's utility tokens, so something that you just use on a platform, and security tokens, which are mainly used for speculation and come under the purview of the SEC, as there has been quite a bit of of drama in terms of frauds where security tokens um, were speculated, investors lost a bunch of money, and, you know, the, they they wanted the SEC to protect them um, for those losses. Now, in this situation, really what it's being used for is a rewards program. So on on the subreddit, you use this for status. So you get, you're, you're given um, some of the coin for just basically engaging in the subreddit. And what you can do with that is you can buy gifts with it as well as... Um, get entrance into special groups within the subreddit. So really right now is it's an it's based on the Ethereum blockchain. So you can transfer it over to other wallets, but right now it isn't being traded on any of the exchanges. Any of so there is no value to it. There's no monetary value to it right now. But it, it does look like they are we know, in the future, looking to really increase the engagement on their platform and hope that if there is any value to um, the the special memberships and other platform options that that they have within within the subreddits, then there will be a monetary value and they'll be traded on the exchanges. Now, there's a lot of people within the crypto world that are excited about this. And really, it's just that this is an actual legitimate use case um, that would be a way of showing, especially with regards to other companies' rewards programs, that the blockchain is the best use of database 
for their rewards program and having a rewards program that could perhaps be traded across platforms. Uh, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, um, one of the largest crypto exchanges, he had a he fired out a tweet storm a couple of days ago. He was really, really excited about this. Um, so, you know, given his excitement, it may indicate that Coinbase will be interested in having these traded on their platform. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the value of these coins will really be tied to any demand of the services and options on this the reddit platform so that if you can represent any sort of scarcity uh that these crypto these cryptocurrencies could increase in value but reddit is being very clear that these are utility tokens and they don't want people speculating on them at this point in time but yeah that makes sense that makes sense because they don't the bitcoin space they don't want them to be uh, viewed as a security likely Absolutely. But really what this points to is just a little bit of renewed interest in the cryptocurrency space specific to Bitcoin, as well as um, some of the other uh, cryptocurrencies that are based on the Ethereum uh, blockchain. Yeah, the other thing that I wanted to mention with respect to this halving is that I do believe it's bullish on the price. You look historically 2012, 2016, after the last two halvings, Bitcoin has gone on an absolutely epic tear after that. One economic theory I like to observe is the cost of production, which basically governs um, clearly after this halving, the cost of production is going up because the block rewards get cut in half, right? And so if you think about commodity production, typically the clearing price in a market is a, a premium to the cost of production. Otherwise, no one would produce the uh, would produce a commodity if they couldn't make a, a, mar- a positive margin on it, right? And so that's a, a good economic theory to keep in mind in terms of uh, the future price of Bitcoin. If the cost to produce is going up, then you're you're likely to see the price follow. And if it didn't, then you know the whole system wouldn't work. You because uh, there would be a big restriction in supply. And if there's a uh, you know restriction in supply, then you know economics 101 indicates that uh, price will go up. So. That basically summarizes what's going on in the cryptocurrency space this week. Definitely exciting news. Um, wanted to chat about some M&A with ride sharing company Uber reportedly trying to merge its subsidiary Uber Eats uh, with rival Grubhub in a potential all-stock $6.9 billion deal. Uh, wanted to disclose that we are short Grubhub shares, uh, not from in not in our uh, merge arbitrage fund, but in our uh, multi-factor strategy. So I had to note that. Uh, but nonetheless, according to sources, Grubhub is requesting the 2.5 Uber shares uh, per Grubhub share in consideration, while Uber is reportedly only willing to offer 1.9 share exchange ratio. So this isn't a done deal. It's been reported by the Wall Street Journal. There is still a wide bid ask, so talks could certainly fall apart here. Um, it has been heating up, and, and Uber seems to be walking down the price uh, so we'll see where where this ends up. We just wanted to chat about you know what the deal could like if it in fact does get made official. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is this company, the combined entity, would have pretty significant market share, north of fifty percent. Uh, this deal would consolidate effectively a three-player market down to two. So the major players are Uber Eats, Grubhub, and DoorDash. So DoorDash is the most popular meal delivery service in the US with about 42% of sales. And then you have Grubhub and Uber Eats with roughly 30 and 20% respectively. And so these top three players have 
you know, roughly 90% market share, then you have kind of a bunch of minor players. But a lot of uh, antitrust is based off, you know, local market shares. So if we look at some local markets, just to just to look um, at how this pro forma market share would look at the combined entity, it would have 78% of the market share in New York, which is clearly from a Department of Justice uh, perspective, uh, that would raise significant antitrust concerns from a competition standpoint. Go to Boston, Chicago, and Miami, the combined uh, Uber Eats and Grubhub would have north of 60%, that's six zero percent market share. So certainly uh, from a merger perspective would be a major concern. Uh, the other thing with respect to this business model is third-party food delivery has been unprofitable for years despite incredibly high fees, as high as 30% that's taken out of the pocket of restaurants on each delivery order plus fees on fees, additional fees, processing, delivering, marketing, etc. So very, very slim margins. Uh, I was just looking at Grubhub's 10Q and 10K, not very good unprofitable last quarter. They had a number of years in which they're losing money on a net income basis. Uh, Still, these businesses have been doing decently well over the pandemic. Obviously, more and more people ordering in food. However, Grubhub and Uber Eats are still struggling to make a go of it, um, to make it profitable. So it's it's an interesting fluid situation, as indicated. Deal isn't done. However, um, you know, we'll, we'll remain observing to see what happens here and just wanted to uh, chat about our initial thoughts. What are your initial thoughts? Do you think that this is a high quality transaction? I mean, in terms of, you know, anybody looking to speculate on the potential for a transaction is what jumps out right away is the uh the gap between their valuation expectations. So right away there, there's obviously a bridging of that gap that needs to happen. Um, And then the other thing that you mentioned was from an antitrust perspective is even if they announce a definitive deal is that this is most certainly going to be analyzed by um, the antitrust watchdogs, Uh, you know, like especially when you had mentioned areas such in such as New York, I mean, that's just a very politically charged area where the attorney general there, I mean, it would be highly likely that they would end up bring that that that, that individual state would end up, um, you know, looking to block that deal. Ultimately, like Uber and and uh, Grubhub, their defense in an antitrust situation would likely just be that Grubhub would not be able to survive on their own, um, which has been used successfully in the past. But it isn't a isn't a particularly strong argument. As- Certainly not a strong argument for being long Grubhub shares if they're basically saying that look we're going to go out of business. So or or it's not great strategic rationale for Uber Eats buying a company that's going to go out of business. Exactly, and and at a, at the end of the day, antitrust authorities aren't necessarily as concerned about the what the how 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 vibrant a business can be yeah. they're more concerned with the consumers and so a, 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 what as you had mentioned going from a three player market down to a two player market uh, it, it's a pretty tough argument that that's better for consumers. And you had mentioned just how unprofitable the business is. Is in Q1 of this year, you'd mentioned that you know this they they aren't doing well. I mean, Uber Uber Eats that division lost 313 million dollars in Q1 of this year, despite a doubling of revenue. 
And that that $313 million loss is just a 1% increase, but that's on a doubling of revenue. So they're actually scaling up, but their losses are remaining the same, which really just speaks to how poor the underlying unit economics are. And I mean, I remember when Uber did go public as well, um, the Uber Eats division, I believe in their S1, was showing that that division was actually you know, not growing revenue, that they're actually declining in revenue year over year. Now, the uh, with everybody quarantining right now, it has been better in terms of revenue growth, but, you know, you just haven't seen any benefits to scale. Um, the other interesting aspect would be, I'd be very curious to know which side leaked the details of the deal. Uh, as this was very obviously leaked to the press, just given that exact ex- share exchange ratios were uh, were given to the press, you know, it would be very. I'd be very curious, like what the what the negotiating tactic was in releasing this, and which which party did so. Yeah, perhaps it was on the Uber side because what was interesting is traditionally in all shared. Um, M&A, you see the acquirer stock go down. But in this one, uh, Uber shares actually rallied. So perhaps they wanted to get uh, some insight into what their shareholders would think prior to signing on the dotted line for a definitive agreement. Um, so that, that's my thoughts on that. But with respect to the the overarching strategic rationale of the deal, I think it's a low quality transaction. Um, not only are there massive antitrust uh, potential issues that could end up blocking the deal, but um, you basically putting together two crappy business models. It's not going to make uh, things a lot better. As you indicated, Uber Eats uh, losing a ton of money, hundreds of millions of dollars. Grubhub, modestly profitable sometimes. And the other thing is these companies face you know, tremendous regulatory pressure. Delivery fees are coming under massive scrutiny. Uh, just the restaurant industry is is in a pretty fragile state, and you're hearing more and more noise from restaurants just regarding the gouging that these uh, meal delivery companies are doing. Then in in New York, just this week, City Council voted to place a 15% ceiling on meal delivery charges. Uh, which has a big impact on someone like Grubhub. And uh, I'm sure we'll see additional uh, states, counties, cities uh, implementing the cap on fees that third-party food delivery companies can extract from restaurants. But nonetheless, still, this deal is is quite uh, speculative, nothing official. So at this point, the shares are kind of moving on. Uh, rumor charge, it could in fact get announced, but it certainly cautioned listeners on the antitrust concerns. And then, Mike, you mentioned the so-called antitrust defense that Grubhub isn't going to make it. Well, that's not necessarily a great long thesis uh, on the stock or a great long thesis for the strategic rationale on the deal. They do believe that there could be some pretty significant synergies. However, at the end of the day, the business includes delivering food via car. I mean, you know, there's only so many orders that a delivery driver can make what two to three per hour how's combining both companies going to prove that it's not really the last, so the last mile has always been the most difficult in in logistics and for food delivery the entirety of the business model is last mile so you know it, it's a very difficult space yeah so we're negative on this deal just to wrap that one up we'll see if it gets announced and perhaps we'll do uh, some follow-up coverage on it but leave it at that for now wanted to chat about 
what gets me really excited, the first uh, potential hostile bidding war of this whole new COVID-19 era. Obviously, there's been a quite a lull in uh, M&A mergers and acquisitions transactions over the past two, two and a half months ever since this whole coronavirus-led bear market and recession commenced. However, um, one side effect of all the... Uh, uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus has been a big, big bull market in gold, and that's carried uh, a lot of these gold miners with it. I was looking at the new 52-week 52 52-week 52 high list yesterday on the TSX. All, basically, all 20 of the stocks on the new 52-week high list were gold mine. And so this is a space that investors have to be paying attention to. Um, you know, the sector has been on fire with the underlying commodity, and we're seeing a lot of M&A. Uh, in the space, and I was looking at it just now, um, seven deals announced in Canada over the past, uh, well, since March 23rd, and all seven have been in the gold space. So it's really important to, to consider that. Now more than half of all Canadian M&A is in the gold mining space. What we happened, what happened this week was gold miner Grand Columbia, they revealed an unsolicited proposal to acquire Guyana gold fields for 100 million bucks in an all share offer. And now this potentially kicks off a bidding war for Guyana gold fields against friendly acquirer Silvercorp. What happened on April 27th, Silvercorp and Guyana announced a friendly acquisition for about 70 million bucks of Silvercorp to buy Guyana gold fields. And now a couple weeks later, Grand Columbia came in with an all share proposal worth about 90 cents per share on the announcement, came in at 114% premium to Guyana's unaffected price and nearly a 30% premium to Silver Corp's friendly bid. So certainly they're putting up a serious, serious offer here that is super competitive and a massive premium price to Silver Corp's friendly bid. In addition to that, they did establish a toehold in Guyana Goldfield stock. So Grand Columbia, by toehold, we mean um, they bought a bunch of the shares in the open market. So Grand Columbia bought 8.7 million shares of Guyana in support of the transaction, representing roughly 5% of the shares outstanding. And this cost them about 5 million bucks. And so if they weren't serious about this deal, they probably wouldn't sink $5 million into it. Uh, one of the main uh, strategic rationales behind the deal, significant synergies, um, you know, super, super high, way higher than what Silvercorp could recognize because Silvercorp's uh, mines are in China. Meanwhile, Grand Columbia, um, Guyana Goldfields, and a third party in this transaction, another junior miner that uh, Grand Columbia has a friendly deal to acquire Goldex as they're all in the same kind of jurisdiction in South America. Despite the higher price on this one, thus far, Guyana Board of Directors has rejected the unsolicited proposal. They did indicate in their press release that the price did look nice. However, they did blame some of the attached conditions uh, to prevent them from scrapping the, their friendly deal with Silvercorp, which would come with a break fee of about, uh, what is it, $3.7 So one, yes. of the, one of the reasons they indicated is that um, they wanted the cash from Grand Columbia to pay that break fee. And they also wanted this deal of their acquisition by Grand Columbia not to be contingent upon the Goldex deal, which is the other friendly deal that Grand Columbia is proposing. In addition, I wanted to mention that we are long this M&A trade. Uh, we really like it. 
Um, so we are at this point Long Diana Goldfield's a potential bidding war. I personally think that we will see Grand Columbia come back. As we like to say in a, in an auction process, you never start with your highest offer. So they kicked off the bidding war at 90 cents per share with a, with a couple conditions. I wouldn't be surprised for them to uh, remove some of those conditions just because the price is uh, so far superior. And I mean, they took that 5% toehold at 5 million bucks. So if there's um, not serious, then that's probably something that they wouldn't do. Super excited about this because this is the first potential bidding war and hostile M&A proposal since the coronavirus market crash. And so for merge arbitrageurs, exciting, exciting times. What are your thoughts on this potential bidding war here and this crazy uh, bull market? We're seeing a lot of consolidation in the space. Yeah, I I completely agree with the excitement over the deal um, or the offer just because, I mean, and the, if you're just reading the headline, it, it said that Guyana had, um, that they had rejected the offer. And that's, you know, if that's all you read into it, um, you wouldn't be as bullish. But really, like this was a far superior price offered in terms of their proposal. And so really what they were just kind of rebutting were the conditions placed on it. So like the concurrent uh, closing of the Gold X mining acquisition, I mean, that just introduces more deal risk. So their their line of thinking is that when you take into the account the break fee, the concurrent Gold X mining acquisition, um, and especially the short-term liquidity stress that that would put on, uh, on Guyana for that $3.7 million, is they just didn't think that they were being compensated enough for that. So either, you know, the the couple of options is that Grand Columbia can either increase their consideration to a point where uh, where Guyana feels that they're being fairly compensated for that risk, or just very simply remove some of those conditions, especially the, the concurrent acquisition, is I understand what they're doing because they're all in the same geographical area. And so they want to they only want to do this if they can maximize their synergies, but by removing that condition could perhaps um, result in all three of them having a, a higher probability of uh, making out good in this situation. So a very interesting situation. Um, you know, the other with the break fee, uh, they already have offered to provide a loan to Guyana. So just, you know, lessening the uh, requirements in terms of use of proceeds um, could could help with that. But overall, you know, this is this is great news for uh, for anybody in the merger arbitrage space that is, you know, itching for a bidding war. Yeah, and bidding wars are the types of deals that can really make an ARBS year. So situation certainly worthwhile paying attention to and better believe we'll be following it very, very closely and we'll keep you updated on the situation there. But that's about it for us on the Absolute Return podcast this week. If you enjoyed it, please check out more podcasts at absolutereturnpodcast.com. And I definitely encourage you to follow us on Twitter. Mike, where can they find you? What's your handle? M underscore Kesslering. And you can follow me at Julian Klamachko. That's K-L-Y-M-O-C-H-K-O. We wish you the best of luck in all your trading, investing, and speculating over the next week. And we will chat with you soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com.
The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.